Hey, I'm Zanzi, and welcome to Farmers Inside Track. This is episode 266. I'm your host, Dornumdu. Free State farmer Diewald van der Berg runs a mixed farming operation with his siblings on their farm, Witkral. Twelve years ago, they ventured into cactus pear farming, and in this edition, he shares a guide for new and developing farmers to grow cactus, and it's even valuable if you're a commercial producer interested in diversifying. Food from Zanzi's commercial journalist Octavius Pandel, over to you. And I'm definitely keen to find out if it's profitable in Mzanzi. Thank you, Dawn. David van der Berg, welcome to Farmers Inside Track. You are involved in a mixed farming operation on the farm Witkral near Pietrisberg in the Free State. And among one of those operations that you are running, you are doing a cactus pear production. So tell me a little bit about what are the different types of available cactus cultivars in South Africa? Uh, thank you. Nice to be here. The cactus that we farm with are all resort under the species Puntia ficus indica. The ones that we farm with are the thornless type. Thornless alludes to the carrots or the leaves that are thornless, not the fruits. So unfortunately, the fruits, fruits have small little thorns, but the, the leaves of the cultivars that we are cultivating and which is to plant is is thornless. There's apparently about 48 known different varieties of cactus pear in South Africa that we are aware of. The University of the Free State did a lot of work on that in identifying all the different cultivars and running trials on them. So we were able to sort of pick the, the top cultivars from those. The cultivars that we farm with is Murado, which is a white or green fruit most people would be familiar with. And then also Skinner's Court, which is also green or white fruit, which is very tasty. And then you get Algerian with a pink fruit, Mayers with a red fruit, something like Gymnocarpo, it's got an orange fruit. So there's quite a lot of different varieties and different colors that you can also get from the various cultivars. That is so interesting. So when is the best season to plant them? In the summer rainfall area that we farm in and with our cold winters, we prefer to start planting towards the middle of August. We prune in winter. Those cladders that we plant, the leaves, they can last quite a while after being cut. So the best would be to prune in winter and then to start planting. We prefer to start quite early, middle August. From middle August onwards until December, you can plant. The main idea being that you want to give the new leaves sufficient time to grow in order to become hardened off, as we call it, so that they are fully grown out leaves by the time the next winter comes by because they can be a bit sensitive to frost. But once the, once the cladders are grown out, they are fine. They have got enough resistance to frost. So, so we plant as early as possible to give us the maximum growth until the next winter comes. Yes. I'm curious to know, Diavok, regarding the plantation, does specifically you are in the free state and you are planting there, does this also apply to other provinces, people are farming with cactuses in other provinces, or does it maybe differ? I would imagine the good practice would more or less be the same. I think when you go to areas where there's less frost, you can even plant a bit later. But I think good practice would be to try plant spring to early summer. I think that would be a good practice in most areas, yes. And how are the orchids managed? One misconception about cactuses, and we get a lot of people who buy it from us, then a year or two later, they say it hasn't been a success. It has to be farmed like any other orchard. It needs to be, it's quite labor-intensive in the sense that have to be on your alert for pests and diseases at all times. Um, I think we'll get to that a bit later. But what we do is our plants does not get irrigated. That's one big advantage. So we don't have to worry about irrigation. And that's the one thing. The other thing is 
The orchard has to be kept clean and it has to be fertilized annually. So that's also very important. The plants need nitrogen and all the other nutrients to grow properly. And that makes a massive difference if your orchard is fertilized properly. Basically, we try to keep the grass short around the trees. And the most important thing is to keep it free of diseases and pests, and which I say I think will get you soon. But, um, but those are the main issues. And then obviously once a year, the trees need to be pruned. We let the tree, we don't allow the trees to grow higher than you can say than the height of an average human being more or less. So 1.7, 1.8 meters is the highest we allow the trees to grow. If you leave them there, they will just continue growing higher and higher, but that creates problems in the sense that you struggle to harvest the fruit and that you can't manage the pests as easily. And they actually respond very well to being pruned. So you will, if you prune the plant and, and, and cut it into in, and form it into the correct shape, you will actually have a much better fruit yield. So that's important to prune the plants once a year. Also, as I say, towards the late winter, early spring, we do all the pruning. So those are the basic management principles. Thanks so much, Devil. You've actually mentioned that we are going to dive into the pests and diseases. Maybe just a little bit deeper into that. What are those that farmers need to specifically look out for? There's two pests. If it weren't for them, cactus farming would have been the easiest thing. The one is cochineal. It's a small insect that lives on the plant and it looks like little white spots on the plant. If you if they do, they feed on the leaf, but they sit externally. So they are quite easy to control. But if left, they will distribute through an orchard quite quickly. So we, we try to go through our orchard at least every two to three weeks to make sure there's no infestations. We try to stay away from chemicals and pesticides. We did have to use it earlier, but there seem to be some new alternatives, something like neem oil, which is organic. So we are switching over to those in order to spray the plants with. Once we do find the small infestations of cochineal, because we obviously want to use as little pesticides and herbicides in our orchards as possible. So the cochineal is the one pest. The other problem we have is cactus moth or cactoblastus. It's a moth that lays its eggs in the cladodes and they hatch and then the little larvae find their way into one of the cactus leaves where they feed. We unfortunately only see it on the leaf when they are a month or two old. So what we have to do with those leaves is basically we cut them off and feed them to our livestock in order to get rid of the, the larvae and the, and the leaves that are damaged. So cactus moth is another headache, but we manage it. It's not unmanageable and it's one of those things that we can manage. You've obviously mentioned a few of the technicalities on the, the farming methods, etc. But now I'm curious to know, how capital intensive is cactus farming? So cactus farming, I think compared to other orchards, is actually very inexpensive to establish. I mean, when you look at fruit trees or pecanuts, like we also have, and things like that to establish, you need massive capital in order to establish a hectare. Whereas with cactus pear, you can get away with plant material for an entire hectare would be in the vicinity of 7,000 rand. And you would need to just basically clear the land. And it's a very simple way. We just take the tractor and make dropper lines in which we plant the cladodes. And then we add fertilizer. So, so to establish the hectare, you basically need the plant material, some fertilizer and the labor. It's not very capital intensive and you can do it on soils that would not necessarily be suitable for other fruit trees and things like that you only need about obviously the better the soil you use the better but you can if you have topsoil of about 30 centimeters or 300 millimeters the cactus can grow in that so it's a handy crop in a sense that you can utilize marginal farmland but also it's no use to use and that's not good in any way so 
yeah, so it's not it's not that expensive to farm and capital intensive. And then the, the main expense after that would be the annual fertilizer and then your labor to keep your orchards clean. That's and to do the pruning and things like that, which you would do with any other orchard as well. And the big plus is that you don't need to step put in irrigation system. So that would obviously be a big, big cost saver. So anywhere where you have annual rainfall of in excess of 300 millimeters a year, these plants can grow on their own without additional irrigation, which makes it quite unique. I'm also curious to know, before I get to my next question, is there any agro-processing that you are specifically doing with the cactus bear specifically that you are making a profit out of? Myself, I'm not in the fresh fruit market at this stage. The reason being... We don't have other produce on the farm that we send to market and we are quite far from the market. So at this stage in my operation, I'm not doing fresh fruit myself. What we do do, however, is we pick all our fruit and we use it to make cactus pear oil. So that's quite a tedious process. What we do is you put all the fruit through a machine that takes out the seeds and the seeds then get dried and cleaned properly. And once the seeds are dried, they can be cold-pressed, which is also quite a difficult process. Uh, we've got a specialist handling that bit for us doing the pressing of the oil. And, but the trick is here that you need about a thousand kilograms of fruit. So you need a ton of fruit to produce one liter of oil. So it's, it's, a, it's an expensive process. It's an expensive oil as well. But as I say, if, if you need one ton of fruit, that's significant labor that you need for that. And that cactus pear oil is very good for skincare, very, very high in vitamin E. I think it compares very favorably towards something like argan oil or compared to something like argan oil. I actually think it's got much better properties. So it's a very sought after oil. But having said that, it's not something that's easy to market, something that we are developing a market for, but we don't have a, we don't have a, an off taker who can take our entire production in a year. So for new entrants, yeah, I would tell them to be cautious before planting cactus to produce well, because the production part is actually the easier part, the marketing that it's the marketing that gets tricky. That's the one processing that we do. You can also process the fruits for jams, things like that, jams and jellies and things like that. If you're farming on a smaller scale, you can do that. There's also people who process the cladodes and carve them up and dry them to make animal feed with. We use the cladodes. I prefer not, not to cut them up and dry them. I All my excess cladodes I feed to my livestock, but I feed it just like that. I don't even carve it up or nothing. The sheep and the cattle can consume it as is. So for me, it's better to cut out that extra labor expense. So from that perspective, the cladodes are quite handy to use as a fodder, especially in drier times of winter. We give it as a supplement to the dry felt, and that's quite handy. You also cannot feed animals just the cladodes because they're, they're very high in water content. But as an additional feed combined with dry material on the felt, it's a fantastic, fantastic feed to give your animals over the winter. And finally, you've been in the industry for quite a while as well. And you've spoken about the market and how the market has developed. But looking at specifically what the market is like, what does that look like for cactus farming? It's not something you see usually where people are, oh, I'm a cactus farmer. When you look at what does that market look like, you were mentioning how agro-processing works on a smaller scale. But when we look at it, for someone who wants to commercialize their farm, is there a market for them? I definitely think there is because I know the fruits do quite well on the market. And from what I've heard, I'm, I say I'm not really an expert yet, but from what I've heard, the sales has increased year on year on the fresh produce markets. 
So if you're a fruit farmer, say farming citrus, which ripens another time of the year, and you can plant cactus on your marginal fields, something like that, and you've got packhouse facilities and you know how the fruit industry works, there's very big opportunities to sell fresh fruit. And also you must have the right varieties and the right cultivars. But if you've got access to markets and you are close to a, to a fresh produce market, and especially if you have the facilities or already in other sort of fruit farming or vegetable, any fresh produce that you're packing, this is something that can slot in nicely, especially you get farms which has more land and they have water available. So they're limited in terms of the orchard. Uh, they can extend their business because they can only plant fruit and vegetables which they can irrigate. So this is actually a great opportunity for people to be able to plant another few hectares under a crop that does not need any irrigation whatsoever, which actually produces quite worse. You can produce about 20 tons of fruit on an established orchard so it's without spending too many capital. So I think there's big opportunities. You see it for sale in the shops more and more. Um, so I, th I think the market for uh, cactus pay will take off. And I think it's also a matter of educating consumers. So the more people know about it, obviously, and know how it works, the more people will buy it. And as long as the farmers can put quality products on the market, I think the market for fresh cactus pears will keep growing. Thanks, Octavia. And it was great having you join us here on Farmers Inside Track. Free State Farmer, Dierwald van der Berg. You can, of course, read more on this topic by visiting www.foodformzanzi.co.za. And that's a wrap from me, Don Numdu, Octavius Pandil, our technical producer, Megan van der Fent, and the rest of the hashtag Team Food from Zanzi. Until next time, thanks for listening. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans, though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.